Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. For Glory Crampton, it's all about music. The acclaimed soprano created the role of Christine in Phantom. She also starred in the New York and London premieres of Sheldon Harnack's Rothschild and Sons, which is archived at Lincoln Center. Glory has appeared in more than 40 productions. As a global concert soloist, she was featured opposite opera great Jose Carreras of the Three Tenors in SRO performances at Manhattan's Radio City Music Hall. Glory has also performed for Royal Crown Prince Guillaume of Luxembourg and for former President George H.W. Bush and his wife, Barbara. She can be heard on 14 broadcast and compilation recordings, including solo recorders with the National Symphony at London's Abbey Road Studios and Andrew Lloyd Webber's All the Love I Have. With Broadway paralyzed by the pandemic, Glory rolled up her sleeves and put together the award-winning Project Nine music video. She gathered the cast of the musical hit Nine that she had worked with previously and created an original production highlighting the resilience of the theater community while paying tribute to the hit show on its 11-year reunion. Project Nine won three telly awards, including Best Music Video and the Europe Film Festival UK Award for Best Soundtrack. It showcases 16 Broadway actors and singers. So let's meet and get to know this musical theatrical powerhouse, Glory. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Hi, Sandy. So, so wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Totally my pleasure. My first question, when did you know you could sing? <laughs> well, I, I knew I could sing when I was about uh, 13 or 14 years old. My mom took me to a singing teacher and she told my mom she thought I could be an opera singer and I wasn't interested. So I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wasn't interested at that time. I was too young. So I really didn't start singing until I went to college when I was 18. But at home, I mean, did you, were you in the school plays or, was it, or were you singing in the shower or were you in the school chorus? I had a friend and I used to go to her house and we would put soundtracks on of Annie and different mm-hmm. musicals and just kind of act out things. And so that's when I knew I liked singing. Uh, and then I got the lead in the school play when I was in ninth grade. I got the lead in Guys and Dolls. Ah. So that's when my interest in theater started, although I was an athlete and I was a diver and a swimmer for my whole life. And I really wanted to go to the Olympics as a diver. So acting and singing was not on my radar at all. Wow. Wow. Did you get to pursue that sport at all on a different level? Yeah, I, I I was a competitive diver from the time I was eight years old all the way until I was about 16 or so. And I had every plan of going to the Olympics because I traveled around. I was in the pool for three hours a day and that was my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I started doing the school plays and singing a little more. That's when I announced to all my coaches that I no longer wanted to dive and I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I decided to apply for some colleges for acting. And I went to New York University. Did you grow up in the New York area? I grew up on Long Island. Okay. So you had the theater at your fingertips. 
Yes, yes. My mom took me into the city to see a couple musicals when I was young. And I, I didn't see a lot of Broadway before I went to college. I saw a couple shows. Uh, but yeah, it was mostly just high school performances and community theater when I was on Long Island. Mm. What we have in common is that I'm an NYU graduate. What we don't have in common is that I can't carry a tune. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about those four years and how your talents got fostered. In, at NYU? Yeah. So I went to Tisch School of the Arts. That's where I went. So here you are, you're in school, and talk to us about that experience. Yes, so I wanted to be a straight actress, a film actress. And at at that time, when I went to NYU, you were put, if you wanted to be an actor, you were put into different schools to study three days a week at Strasbourg, Circle in the Square, Ah, Bella mm -hmm. Adler. You were sent to a specific school, and I was sent to Lee Strasbourg. Um, It's all method acting. So I spent three three days a week there. And uh, there was, I think we started with about 60 students. And four years later, we ended with about six students that oh, lasted wow. those four years because wow. they, weed, they weed you out. And it's pretty tough curriculum. I bet. Uh, and so I strictly studied acting. And then I started singing privately on the side at a school called the Andy Anselmo voice studio. And I just wanted to take some lessons. And then I got cast in a musical and then another musical. And I started auditioning, uh, circling auditions from backstage, you know, the, the newspaper. Backstage. Yes. Oh, yes. You yeah. mean you were looking at the one ad? You were reading the one ads? I was reading the one ads. Oh, I thought, sure. Oh, well, that was the Bible. Yes. And, and I, I would go to any audition, even if I wasn't right for it, I would just circle it. And I was, I was kind of fearless. I would just show up at these random auditions and sing a song. And I wanted to work on my time, uh, my, my spring breaks. And so I just started circling things and then I, I got cast in a show and then another show and musically, I just started doing musical. Everyone was casting me in musicals and that's kind of how that happened. And before that, I modeled to make money in the city. So my initial takeaway from all of this is that you had a really strong belief in yourself and you were going to do what it was that you needed to do. And that's impressive. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt, especially being in a city when you're young, I was 18, you know, 17, 18, when you go to college and it's, you know, it's a very competitive industry and also going to NYU, it wasn't like having a campus where you're just out going to sororities and parties. It's you're in the middle of the city yes, and that Mm -hmm. you all of a sudden feel that energy of, Oh, I, I gotta, I gotta make something happen here. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I just, uh, I just. Well, started. did you receive encouragement from the powers that be, or it didn't matter to you whether they were in your camp? It kind of didn't matter. I mean, obviously, uh, my teachers were great at NYU. I really loved studying, and that was building my confidence as an actress. Uh, and. Yeah, nobody, I had one friend who, oh, actually it was one person who took me under his wing and took me to 
open auditions because I didn't know how to do that. And I auditioned for a community production of West Side Story. And it was being done at a barn playhouse in Westchester, (laughs) Uh a literal barn. And I went up to this audition and the director, his name was Barry Liebman. He now runs the York Theater up in Westchester. And he, uh, he said I was like the fourth choice for Maria and the three <laughs> other people turned it down. And he called me. Was that I, necessary to share? I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Well, of course, we laugh about it now. But uh, so I showed up and it ended up being a wonderful production. And he's still a great friend of mine. And he took me under his wing and took me around to open calls and sat with me when there's hundreds of girls waiting for, to sing the 16 bars at the, you know, when they hired two girls out of hundreds. Mm -hmm. And he sat there with me at the Minskoff studios. And I was one of the girls that got the two slots in a, in a theater at Westchester Broadway Theater who gave me my equity card pretty early on when I was still, I think I was still in college. Wow. So, And how long and how hard was it for you to get an agent? Doesn't sound like it was hard. It wasn't hard. I got an agent right away. So that was, that started me on my way. And that's how I got the auditions and my equity card. And I've, had, I've been very, very lucky. You know, a lot of my guests say that, and my response to that is, okay, yeah, that's a factor, but come on, man, nobody suffers fools gladly. You have no talent, nobody gives a shit, you know, Uh, and move on to the next, you know. Um, (laughs) So what was the defining moment for you or the big break? And also in my introduction that I defined you as a soprano, and when people tend to do that, doesn't sort of have like an opera quality to that? Yes. I am known for being a soprano and I do classical crossover concert work now. You know, that's my strong suit, but I also belt, but I'm not going to compete with the belters that that's what they do best. So mm-hmm. when, when we started, you were a soprano or a belter. You didn't have both. Now people do it all. It's mix soprano belt. It's, it's, it's all, but we all have to be honest about what we do the best. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I consider soprano my forte. <laughs> so is it a natural transition for you, as I mentioned in the introduction, you know, that you were featured opposite the opera great Jose Carreras. You sort of seamlessly could go from one genre to another? Yes, my voice does fit right into classical crossover. If I had started now, I probably would have wanted to be an opera singer, but I didn't want to then because I didn't like opera so much. It didn't speak to mm-hmm. me. Um, musical theater did. And that's, you know, I'm, you know, I sing the Phantoms and the, you know, now I love singing Nessu Dorma and all the great, you know, Italian arias, those sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, and you asked earlier with the big break, I think. The big break for me was I, do you want to hear the story? Sure. (laughs) So I was early on, I did the Fantastics 
that was kind of a big, my, my first New York show, I got the lead in the Fantastics off Broadway. And shortly after that, I got the lead in the national tour opposite Robert Goulet. And we were touring around the United States. We were in Detroit and my agent called and said, um, there's this production of Phantom being done that Maury Yeston has written, Maury Yeston and Arthur Copet. It's called the Copet Yeston Phantom. It was right after Phantom of the Opera had, had landed on Broadway. And they want to see you. They've seen everybody in New York. They can't find Christine. And they want you to come in. And I was so nervous. Yeah. <laughs> was, what year was that? Oh, my God. I, I, that was in the early nine, early 90s. Okay. Okay. Something like that. And I got on a plane. I was wearing black cowboy boots, a black miniskirt, a black turtleneck. <laughs> I didn't look anything like Christine. And I didn't have time to go change and come back. And I walked in the audition room and I was trembling because they wanted me to belt also. They wanted you to belt and do soprano because Maury Yeston wanted one of his songs to be a big belt number. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know how to belt. So I was trembling and <laughs> told my agents, I'm not going. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And they pushed me to go. And as soon as I sang my song that I chose and I read, they all put their pens down on the table and they knew that I was there, Christine. And I didn't know yet, but uh, more yes and then decided that his song was not going to be a belt song. It, he, he made that song a soprano song. <laughs> so, wow, what a uh, seminal moment. Yes. And that's, and that is such a big deal. Yeah, it was, it's like one of the best moments of my career, really, of, of walking in that room. It changed everything. And that's when my relationship, my working relationship with Maury Yeston started when I was really young. And we workshopped that in New York and Arthur Copet was writing the script and he would let me say, you know, we would be in rehearsals and I would say, oh, Arthur, I don't think I would say this line this way. It doesn't feel right. And he'd, he'd say to me, well, what would you say? And I would say, I would say this. And he'd go, okay. And he would change the line. Whoa, in the script whoa. and that's you know when you get to do that kind of collaboration mm -hmm. with the writers it's priceless. that's big that is yeah. big so how long were you in the show well we we workshopped in new york that, that cope yes and phantom did not have its debut on broadway we workshopped at new york we went to houston and we opened it for the world premiere in houston uh, we did the RCA recording. We didn't know how big that production was going to become. And it's been done all over the world, twice over. And it's been done in every regional theater. And it's uh, quite popular. But Andrew Lloyd Webber got his Phantom of the Opera on Broadway right before they were able to get theirs out. So that's why the world premiere had to be out of town because they can't have two broad two phantoms on broadway at the same time so how did they how did they work that out eventually i'm the copet yeston christine we did it in houston and yeah uh but it's a very well-known phantom worldwide 
Yes. Mm-hmm. How long were you in it? Uh, I would say a total of about eight months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about that. And was that so seminal that that kind of really set your career in motion on a different level? Yes. I would say it did because at that time, it it was garnering so much attention and the, those CD, the recording did really well. I mean, and it was done all over the world and people were coming back from Europe with bottles of wine with my picture on it and, and Richard White and watches and they were selling all sorts of things in places I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it set my career in a place where it just lent for me to start booking a lot of other shows and roles and uh, yeah. It, so, it, so live theater really spoke to you obviously after that and that was kind of the road that you were traveling for a while? Yes. I mean, it, it really set my career into a musical theater career and thus a concert, a global concert career. Uh, and I never went back to my original uh, idea of doing film work, although I have done a little bit of film and TV, but mm-hmm. my career has been in, in musical theater stage. I love live stage performing, just nothing like it. And you've done that all over the States? Oh, yeah. I've done it all over the States. I've done it all over the world. Mm. I, I did the, um, I traveled Asia. I did West Side Story, the, the, the Asian tour of West Side Story playing Maria. I did the European tour of Jesus Christ Superstar playing Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the national tour of Fantastics here, Japan tour of the Fantastics. So yes, I've I've gotten to travel quite a bit in my career. So Glory Crampton just doesn't stay put. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I try to now. I think I I really like doing concert work and I've been doing a lot of symphony work for the past five years. So I really like to go fly in and out of a, a city. And I've been doing an Andrew Lloyd Webber concert and a three tenors concert. So I like to fly in, do a concert or two and fly out. Do you orchestrate your own performances, what it is that you want to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've got, for lack of a better way of saying it, that's the act that you take on the road. Uh, yes, I have a few different concerts that I've done. Uh, I've, I've toured for a couple of years with Frank D'Ambrosio, who is a phantom. And he and I have a, Andrew Lloyd, a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber concert we do. We've been in Brazil, South America, all wow. over. Wow. And I have my own concert that is called Out of My Dreams, which is just a compilation of all different music from different musicals and telling stories in between. That's my solo concert. I've also recently produced and directed a symphony concert in China, which I wrote. I got all the orchestrations built for and uh, 
it was televised in China. And that concert, I'm super proud of. It's three tenors and myself as a soprano singing all like the world's most beloved music. Mm. <laughs> wow. And uh, that's what I hope to get back to after COVID. I was just going to say, how badly have your wings been clipped? I really miss live performing. And yeah, I haven't, you know, obviously in a year, I haven't, all my concert work is just come to a standstill and live theater. Mm. But I did, you know, as you mentioned, the Project 9, that's what I kind of redirected my energies during COVID and tried my hand at doing, directing a music video. And uh, we had quite a bit of success with that, to my surprise. Talk about doing that and why that came to pass. Well, you know, when COVID started, we were, as actors, all talking to each other and we had no idea what was going to happen. We're the first to be shut down and we're going to be the last to be open because we, we rely on audiences sitting close together. Yeah, filling up the house. Yeah, filling up the house. So in COVID, we had that beginning where we were all, you know, rooting for each other. And then we went through the fun time of what are you watching on Netflix? What are you watching? And mm-hmm, we kind mm-hmm. of had, it's like having snow days where we didn't have to go to work. And then it started to get really uncomfortable. Yeah, like, then it wasn't yeah, so much for fun. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I thought, okay, let me reach out to this group of women that I have known. We've been very close since we did this production of nine, 11 years ago now. And I kind of reached out to them and I said, hey, would, would you all want to do uh, revisit this music from Nine? Because we've always wanted to revisit it. These women are incredible. And everyone kind of jumped on board. And I, I got a music director friend of mine on board and we got an entire uh, orchestra on board. Everybody volunteered their time, which was amazing. Mm. And how long did that take to get off the ground? It took, we did it in segments. I directed everybody via Zoom. I had to do these videos. I first put uh, the the entire soundtrack. We got all of the musicians to put down their instruments in their homes. Everybody was in quarantine in their separate homes. So they sent us all their tracks separately. We built the soundtrack on our computers. Then we got every actor, the 16 actors to do their vocals in their home, sent us each of their vocals. We stacked them and made a soundtrack. And then I went to each girl's house, wherever they lived, and I filmed each girl separately right by their quarantine home. Well, you were really the chief cook and bottle washer on this project, weren't you? <laughs> I was. Yes, I did everything. I edited. I, I, I did the videography. I did everything. It was amazing. Well, it's pretty obvious in this, my conversation with you that nothing intimidates you and that there's an eclecticism and a versatility to, to your career that you've got to own. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm a huge believer in redirecting your energy, your talent, your creativity, your passion. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy for us to get diverted. And if, if, if certain doors are closing or things aren't working in one area, I will always turn and try to find the door that will open, even mm-hmm. if it's not necessarily what I know. That in your comfort zone, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will always try to kind of uh, do that. And I always listen to my instincts. I think it's really important to listen to your instincts, listen to whatever that little voice is saying. Because I have so many times heard something that makes no sense whatsoever. And I followed it and it's led to something incredible that I never could have imagined. Yeah. It's that welcoming. It's that flexibility. It's the, and if I fail, so be it. And that is really a tie that binds a lot of the women who I interview. Mm. If I don't try it, how would I know? How will I know? Yeah. Yeah. How will you know? And um, yeah, I think it, it's that, it's that part of us that it's like the gut knows and it's just, you have to separate the thoughts that tell you, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Oh, somebody else is going to be better. Or I don't know what the next step is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the part that I've learned over and over again not to listen to. Just to say, okay, the next step will come. I'll get I'll do something tomorrow that's going to help me in that direction. And the more I kind of vote for that, the more things will open up. And this Project 9 is a perfect example of that. I I did not know how to direct, do videography or edit. And who who could have ever guessed that I would have won all these awards? I, I didn't do it for that, but... I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's a great. Yeah. So that was a departure for you, but that Project Nine that clearly paid off. So, what would you like to do that you haven't done? And I'm curious. In that same breath, I want to ask: Have you ever done one woman shows, kind of a la cabaretish? Uh, yes, I've done. Uh, Feinstein's. I was at Feinstein's. I've done a couple cabarets. And yes, I like doing cabarets. It's not on the top of my list right now. I think I will definitely do them at any time. I think what's really on the top of my list are um, doing more symphony work. I just love that. And this Three Tenors concert is so exciting to me that that's what excites me when I think about doing something. And I, of course, would love to get back to live theater. Well, that's going to happen. Broadway is opening up. Yeah. Yeah. What shows have you been in on Broadway? Well, I've done... uh, I've done more concert work there than uh-huh. I have actually done shows. Okay. I mean, I've done so many shows at Paper Mill. I've done 14 leading ladies at Paper Mill Playhouse. Yes, in New um, Jersey. Yes. Carousel, uh, Secret Garden, Carousel, Eliza, My Fair Lady, 
you name it, I've done it. Um, my most recent show in New York was uh, Sheldon Harnick's new musical called Rothschilds and Sons. Sheldon Harnick wrote Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, and mm-hmm. we just did that two two years ago. We did the premiere in New York, and we did the recording of that as well. And uh, then we went over to London and did the premiere in London. And that was really exciting. And we're still working uh, on having that, uh, another production of that. Mm-hmm. Come up. Mm-hmm. So that was the most recent thing that I did in New York and was super exciting. And I love working with Sheldon. He's incredible. Talk about working with another songwriter. Uh, well, musical genius. Yeah, musical genius. Like workshopping with him on a new show was incredible too. You know, he sure, came in, sure. Came in one day and said, "Oh, you know, I have this one song. I think, I think I, I really want you to sing this. This is my new song. I want you to debut." And he sits down at the piano and plays the most gorgeous song that. I then got to sing and record. It's just so special. What about albums? Is that part of your repertoire? Albums? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I've got about 14. Uh, I've got several cast recordings that I've starred in. And I've done a lot of compilation recordings of all different Broadway singers Uh, My solo recording was done at Abbey Road Studios in England with the National Symphony. It's called Unusual Way. So that was super exciting. And I'm on several CDs that I recorded at Abbey Road, and uh, including the Andrew Lloyd Webber CD, which is um, All the Love I Have, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Jerome Kern, and... uh, I think there's another one. I, sometimes I forget all the names. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> it's going to be like for someone to deliver your eulogy. <laughs> well, who knows? Um, I mean, your uh, resume is extensive, and how wonderful that it has such staying power. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that ever gives you pause. You know, it, I, I should I should pause more to reflect <laughs> on on what you've accomplished. What I've accomplished, yeah, I I I really should. <laughs> well, you're too busy because you're yeah. moving from you know from one <laughs> one event to the next. What's on your front burner, Glory? I have a couple things. I you know I've been. I don't know if anybody else has been doing this, but I've been going back and forth of, okay, what's on my front burner of live things coming back? Obviously, I've mentioned it, the the Three Tenors concert that I produced. That's something I really want to do. I also would like to go back to Abbey Road in London. And um, we've been, my producer and I have been talking about doing a full-on Andrew Lloyd Webber symphony album. So those are two things that I'd like to do. And then my mind is now thinking of, oh, what if we are not live and not as live as we think we're going to be? Mm-hmm. Because we have mm-hmm. to prepare. We don't know what we're kind of going back and forth and, you know, what's going to happen. So now I'm also starting to think about, okay, if we're going to be digital, I would like to, obviously, Project Nine was 
successful. So I'm thinking about what next video would I like to, you know, produce and direct and kind of see. So I'm kind of thinking about that mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So the pandemic hasn't been as brutal to you, has it? Uh, it has been brutal as far as employment. <laughs> uh, it's brutal as in we are, you know, none of us are really employed, but it has been fruitful for me in my own producing and directing. In your own creativity. Been, my own creativity has been incredible. Yeah, now I have a whole arsenal of new talents that I have to offer. <laughs> I, that, that's, really, that's really amazing because a lot of people sort of not get into a rut. I don't mean it that way, but evolving is a whole other dynamic, isn't it? To think in a certain age that, wow, I never tried this. I think I'll go for it. And, and nothing seems to stand in your way. So again, uh, another tie that binds here is this incredible sense of self, strong sense of self. The women I meet have. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, that's true. I mean, women are such a strong force. I, I, I just, I, I'm such an advocate for strong, powerful women. And um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's just, we we're unstoppable. And I like being in stuff. I like reinventing and kind of, there's nothing like a woman. And, and this is what I kept saying to my women when I was directing them in nine, because there's, what, 16 beautiful, gorgeous women. And I kept saying there was nothing more beautiful than a woman in her joy and power. Wow. Like her joy. Wow. Joy in a woman is radiant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A woman, when she's joyful, anything can happen. She's just magnetic. Sure. Have you ever thought about sharing that with younger singers and actresses? Absolutely. Yeah. I really want to share that. And um, I did a TEDx talk a couple of years ago, and that was all about uh, it's, it's how to overcome stress stage fright, how to kind of, yeah, get out of your way and stand in your own radiance, your own, I call it star power, you know, your own, like that feeling that you, that I have felt when I'm center stage, Mm -hmm. it's star power. And it, all it is, is just owning your space, your, your, like I said, your joy, your power, your openness. And I would love to share that in any way I can with other, you know, younger actors and people in general, because I think, you know, stress and even in this time of uncertainty and chaos with the pandemic, it's just important for us to keep ourselves aligned with moving forward instead of getting boggled down in fear. Well, here comes another one of my cliches. For you, it sounds like over the course of your career, your glass has been half full in terms of not only your ability, but your attitude. (laughs) I mean, you don't sound bitter. Are you pissed off at anybody? Something? (laughs) 
I um not really. I no because I feel that 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 energy just makes me feel heavy and it doesn't help me. It just gets in my way and makes me feel shut down. So yeah, there's things that I would love to have. Uh, I don't know. I guess th- there's things that I would love to have happened or uh, I don't know. I think more, I guess I do think more of glass half full because I just keep looking forward to what's next and how mm. can I, mm-hmm. how can I now get to the next step? But yeah, as far as that, like bitterness, I don't, it just, that makes me tired. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> be that as it may, that still doesn't mean that people just don't kind of wallow in that. Oh yeah. How's this for stating the obvious? Your first name speaks volumes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what did your parents know back in the day when they named you Glory? Well, the story behind the name is that I was born three months early. And I was very, I was three pounds and kind of sickly. Like my, my, the doctor put me in his hand, the palm of his hand and showed my mom and I was really sick. My lungs weren't formed yet and they didn't work properly. So the doctors told my parents to kind of make sure they had a priest come and to be prepared for my not possibly surviving. And I had a nurse that had to clear my lungs 24 seven because I couldn't breathe. Wow. And so because I, I survived, they called me Glory. <laughs> wow. So, um, and uh, yeah, that's that was kind of it. And then and then I not only became a singer, but I grew up to be uh, you know five eight. I'm tall. Uh huh. <laughs> and so I guess it turned out okay. Uh, hello. <laughs> you know, not for nothing. I wonder if the the medical people in the neonatal unit knew who Glory was going to become one day, this singer belting out tunes who couldn't breathe on her own. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, it's a, maybe there's an autobiography here. In your, <laughs> have you ever thought about that? Just in, in all the stuff no. that you've done? Well, there you go. Maybe yeah, something to think about. Yeah, who knows? Maybe in the future. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it still sounds like you, you've got a lot of irons in the fire. Well, Glory, I mean, it was really great to meet and get to know you. Boy, you've done a shitload of stuff. And it's just, and and the attitude, this excitement, this optimism, and this joy. And I am sure that it's very contagious. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And it's such a pleasure to be here and talk with you. Well, let me just say, I mean, it's not like we've come to praise Caesar as far as I'm concerned about me. I just have a really good knack of stating the obvious. (laughs) that's what my strong suit is thank you so much for taking the time out to talk about glory crampton and all that is who you are and we are going to end our conversation with a sample of your talent she sings nesson dorma from the opera turandot (laughs) 